0: Our deep dives into teams around the MLB continues tonight with the Tampa Bay Rays. Plus, we have our waiver wire, pitcher preview, and injury report sections, including your mailbag questions. Rays insider Steve Carney joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing
0: today? Pretty good, and would you look at that? The New York Mets have the largest lead of any division in all of baseball at four games. The next highest would be the White Sox with a two-and-a-half game lead over Cleveland. But our Mets, not bad. Injuries, no problem. They're They're... I'm very surprised, but uh, I'll take uh, I'll take the largest lead now. What do, what do you think?
1: Yeah, they're calling them the replacements because so many people, I think 17 or 18 people are on the I.L. A lot of them are starting to come back, which is good, but also a lot of the other teams in the NL East have been underperforming, which is why I think they're still in first place.
0: Yeah. Well, we've got a great show today from the Under the Orange Roof podcast. He is the publisher of Saint Pete Nine, a Rays baseball insider. Please welcome to the show, Steve Carney. How are you, Steve?
2: I'm great, Ariel. It's great to be on with you here uh, on Beat the Shift. I, I, this is something I know that you and I have uh, gone back and forth with for uh, at least a couple of weeks when uh, our mutual friend Eric Gildy uh, was uh, was going to his first uh, Mets game of the year. And uh, I was like, well, this would be an awesome opportunity for me. And I'm glad to be here for it.
0: Yeah. And that game was uh, I I was at that game with him and his wife, uh, Ellen Adair, a friend of the show as well. Um, So, yeah, very excited here. Um, So just, you know, before we start, maybe you could tell a little bit about yourself and how you got started and how you uh, ended up uh, where you are right now.
2: Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people would be shocked to find out that I'm from the Northeast and that I grew up a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, And so I moved here to Florida Uh, in 2003. My wife was born and raised here in the Tampa Bay region. And so when I got out of the Navy, uh, we decided to move back here because I never wanted to see snow and shovel snow again. If I ever shovel snow again, it will be too soon i have said for many many years and so where better than to go to florida where they had spring training and a major league baseball team already in place and i got a job working at the uh radio the local sports talk radio station 620 wdae uh, in 2005 uh, and went from being a producer to running the Rays radio network i did that for five seasons including the 2008 world series and in 2011 uh, they asked if i wanted to be the new Rays beat reporter and go and cover the team full-time uh unfortunately not travel but uh i was able to go to 81 games a year at tropicana fields and go to uh the playoffs go to spring training go to the winter meetings and do everything for uh, for Rays baseball for the station, which eventually became the flagship uh, of the Rays uh, in 2009. And I did that for uh, just shy of a decade. Uh, in fact, it was uh, I got the beat position in January of 2011, and in November of 2020, uh, I was told that my services were no longer needed. And so, uh, after being let go after 15 years. I decided well I don't want to stop covering baseball and I can now do it for myself and so I created stp9.com created the Under the Orange Roof podcast and have continued to truck on here through the 2021 season.
0: Fantastic there and so glad to have you on the show. Uh before we talk about the Tampa Bay Rays which is the uh the big subject of today's episode, just let's talk about a little bit of bat baseball in 2021 and the biggest difference are, hey, the fans are back. I know in New York we're getting set for 90% capacity um, at Citi Field. Can't wait for that. Um, well, How do you think the fans being back has affected the quality of play this year, up from last year where there was absolutely no fans, no momentum? We know that closers in general thrive on energy sometimes. Do you see a, an effect? How do you think that, that, that uh, players have been responding to this?
2: Oh, uh, fans back in the stands has been a huge boost to the morale uh, of the players as a whole. I mean, you all you have to do is ask some of these players what it was like last year with the canned noise that you heard as opposed to having actual fans. And even at the beginning of the year when you if were seeing 1,500 people in spring training and at the start of the regular season when most of the Uh, Most of the stadiums had somewhere in the vicinity of 20 to 30%. You were seeing seven to 8,000 people normally Uh, at Tropicana field. We had 9,000 capacity for the first month or uh, first month plus of the year. And, even with nine thousand people, or seven thousand people, or fifty-five hundred people, as you've seen in some of these uh, stadiums, it's just a much different feel. And I, you can definitely tell that the players are enjoying having the actual live banter back and forth. You can hear the different catcalls. You can hear the different heckling. Uh, you get the the chants going, even in a reduced capacity. It really does. Make a difference for some of these players.
0: Yeah, Ruven, any any thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I think that it should help the
1: players because a lot of times, a lot of the players said last year that they couldn't get up for the games. They couldn't, you know, a lot of them they do just like you said, Ira. They get all this adrenaline from the fans just being there, and a lot of times they have to build it up on their own. You hear basketball players say that also. Without the without the fans, yep. it's a completely different game. Now, yes, you are gonna get the heckling, and thank goodness so far everyone's been safe in the in the in the in the stadiums and everything like that. And I think that it's just a positive and
2: it's just showing that we're getting more back to normal and hopefully back to a normal life. Yeah, and and, and I I certainly think that yeah, you thrive on this because, like I said, the canned noise, it's funny. I got a chance to go to Tropicana Field for the regular season last year and you you would hear the canned noise and it would kind of be annoying for the first inning or two. But then it just fades into the background and it's almost like you don't hear it. And I'm sure that the players on the field felt that way as well. And if it, it just fades into the background, then all of a sudden it feels like there's nothing there. And it really does keep the the emotional level down for the guys on the field. So yeah, having the having live bodies in the in the stands is huge. Yeah.
0: Were you a fan of the cardboard cutouts last year?
2: uh you know I I thought that some of them could be very interesting i I thought <laughs> that the the Blue Jays did a really good job because they did they had like cardboard cutouts of all like the Canadian celebrities like you would go and you would see Getty Lee and Ryan Reynolds and Brian Adams and Michael J Fox Th- those were kind of interesting uh here at at Tropicana field uh it was interesting because uh in front or I should say behind the dugout, they put all of the broadcasters. So there was uh, Dave Wills and Andy Freed, the raised radio broadcasters. You saw uh, Rich Hollenberg and Doug Wechter and Arrestus DeStrada and Trisha Whitaker, who did television pregame and postgame. And then you had Brian Anderson and Dwayne Statz, the TV play by play guys, uh, down on the other end. In the outfield, maybe the most interesting cardboard cutout that they had was in there's a white seat uh, in right field. Uh, right by the right field foul pole and it's the seat where Dan Johnson hit his home run in game 162 of 2011 and in that seat last year the rays put because it wasn't sold uh, it wasn't a uh, a ticket that had been sold it wasn't a season ticket holder's seat they put a cardboard cutout of Dan Johnson in that seat and then they put a a mask over over his face which i thought was uh, <laughs> hilarious as well but uh you know you saw some of the some of the interesting uh, little setups everywhere uh, i'm i'm sure every uh every stadium had them uh, and i just remember seeing the ones from the blue jays and then experiencing the ones with the rays
0: yeah And, you know, baseball stadiums are unlike any other sport. Most other stadiums are cookie-cutter as far as the field goes. Baseball stadiums have different dimensions, different nuances in the park. So uh, it's kind of a nice flavor, I think. But as far um, as—let's talk about some of the new rules that have been uh, put in in place. Some they were going to do anyways and some that uh, came about because of COVID. Um, We have things like the three-batter minimum. We have the seven-inning doubleheaders. Um, and we have the extra inning rule with a uh, runner on second. Um, my question to you, though, is you know, from an insider perspective, how do you think that those rules have affected the way teams are now constructing the roster this year?
2: Yeah, it's it's funny, Ariel, uh, because when they made those changes and the three-batter minimum one was one that I was kind of against. I, I, I wouldn't say I was completely against it. Uh, I thought that it had merit, but I thought that it was – a little, a little hamstringing to the team on defense because you were gonna have let you're gonna have a reliever come in he was gonna have to face three batters but then the offense could pinch hit and you couldn't make a change to combat that pinch hitter and so I I thought that okay you maybe you do the three batter rule but if the offensive team pinch hits you're you're allowed to to make the change there. But if they don't pin or if they, if they pinch it and you don't decide to make the change, you have to do the three batters and, and you could, you could have made some tweaks to it that I think would have been better. But I, I thought that the, uh, the three batter rule had merit. I felt bad. Well, I, I think it was smart that they did it now because guys like Randy Choate uh, needed to have their careers already behind them uh, before you made that rule because You know, guys like Randy Choate and J.P. Howell. uh, There were so many of those loogies that we all that we all loved back in the mid 2000s and even into, you know, 2012, 2013. You had those one out guys, the lefty specialists that were so big in roster construction at that time. Uh, And those have obviously gone the way of the Dodo Bird and and the sacrifice. But but and then. But then the, you bring the bunt back with the extra inning rule that that Texas tiebreaker, which I didn't like at first, but now I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. I I, I think it it brings a a new uh, a new added feature, and it and it really does make teams think about how they uh, how they handle extra innings. I saw it uh, a couple of times during. The Rays' uh, big win streak—you saw it in Dunedin against the Blue Jays. You, you know the question is: Do you bunt as the as the home team to try and just go for the for the one run, or or even as the road team? Is one run? Do you think one run is going to be enough? And so normally, what I've seen is that if you're a road team, you're not going to bunt. If you're a home team, you're thinking more about it, uh, especially if you're able to uh you know, to keep the uh, keep the visiting team. Off the board in the top of the inning. Uh, those, those, I think are the the two big ones uh, that that I saw. The seven inning double headers, I I don't like it. I understand it. I still, you know, it's very minor league. I know that they do it. They've done it in the minor leagues for years, where if you play double headers are seven innings. But this is the big leagues, and we've had nine inning double headers this whole time. I I would like to see nine-inning doubleheaders. I think you can go with uh, having a 27th man for each game and you just change it between games. Uh, I think that would be a better idea than than going to seven-inning doubleheaders, and especially if you're not going to allow someone like Madison Bumgarner to have a no-hitter because it was a seven-inning game instead of a nine-inning game. That's a no-hitter one way or the other, and so I'd just make them nine innings again and doesn't
1: doesn't the 7 inning game give an advantage to certain teams like the Rays in particular if you have a very good bullpen you can throw a bullpen game and you can get away with it very easily
2: well it, but then you have to make that decision do you want the bullpen game to be the first game and then you're going to be reliant on the starting pitcher in the second game to provide you length no matter what because what happens if you know you go out the second your your second uh, game starting pitcher let let's just say worst case scenario, blows out his UCL on the, on the second pitch of the game. Now what do you do? So uh, I I really I really do think that it is still contingent on having at least one of the pitchers being able to provide you adequate length to get through uh, one of these games. And so you see it a lot in the second. You know you would think you would want your best pitcher to go first. But then, OK, you're going to give that pitcher. I've seen managers say to the pitchers that day, OK, what day, which game do you want to throw? Do you want to throw the early game or the, or the late game? And most of the good pitchers will say, I want to throw the late game. Uh, so it's really difficult to do that.
0: Yeah, a couple of thoughts on, on this uh, that I have. Well, first of all the uh the double header rule, uh, you know, to me it's not baseball. It's baseball should be 9 innings. And interesting, uh I went to a doubleheader uh, this year. The 7th inning stretch was done in the 5th inning. That was the uh the way they did it. Uh, I thought that was that was interesting. 5th inning and what what are getting up to dance? What, what's going on here? Uh so that was fun. Um as far as the the um ec- the uh doubleheaders In terms of pitchers, I think it doesn't favor a team like the Tampa Bay Rays. I think it favors teams that have some starters that have length. Tampa really doesn't have that aside from glass now. Um, I think it favors teams that just have, all right, you know, go pitch. Here, Marco Gonzalez, go pitch seven innings, and here you go. Uh, Because you have to use the bullpen. You have to use it for both games. You want to limit that as much as possible. As far as the three batter minimum rule and how it affects the roster, um, I know it's just a different construct. Uh, Obviously, the loogie is eliminated or gotten uh, less. Uh, You know, it's just a different thing that you're looking for. But I'm not that uh, big—I'm not against it. Because it is baseball, the rules are just the same, you just can't switch your pitcher. And as far as the ability for hitters to come in and pinch hit but not change the pitcher, well, I mean, uh, hitting is down in baseball in general. And we're we're talking about, let's... Let's change the shift rules. You can't shift that much. Let's bring the uh, the mound back. Well, if, if the rule is you can't change pitchers and that increases offense a little bit, that's within the confines of the game. I think that's a totally good rule to do. Now, as far as extra inning goes, <clears throat> if you take a look and you think, does this help home teams not – Actually, uh, the record of home teams in these games are really close to 500 over the last uh, year and change. I think it's something like around 505 per, 5, 0.505. Uh So it really hasn't hasn't had anybody. But uh, I I don't like the rule. I think that if you want to try it, start this in the 12th inning. The average game, the average length of a major league game. That went into extra innings was something like around uh, 11 and a half innings before this. Uh, now with this change, the average is about 10.75. So we really only changed this by about three-quarters of an inning. Uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't like that. I understand you want to get the games done soon, but let them play an extra two innings. Start it in the 12th inning if you really want to, want to do it, and let baseball be baseball because most games anyways ended in the 10th or 11th inning that went to extras.
2: I'm I'm curious uh, from both of you guys, and I know I'm the guest. I'm not the one that normally asks the questions, but I'm curious about the the rule. You know, Major League Baseball wants these games to be done quicker. We, you know, they're sick of these three hour and thirty minute two one games that you see between the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, all the time. And I, I understand that you want that that baseball wants these games done quickly or quicker, I should say. But they also want more offense in in these games. I asked Tony Clark uh, a couple of years ago, the, the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, it, it sounds counterintuitive to me that if you're going to have more offense, you're, it leads to longer games because you're having longer half innings when guys are scoring more runs. It, does it sound I mean, am I crazy? Does it sound counterintuitive to you that they want more offense and shorter games?
1: Well, if they wanted more offense, they would have the DH in the National League also. So, you know, they're they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They want the games to be quicker because they want it to be like the other sports, so it's a more of a timed game. Even though there's no clock yet for baseball, they want more time so so people have because people have a shorter ret- attention span. They want more offense because everyone loves home runs. So, what do they do? They change the baseball now this year, and the batting averages are dipping down. You're seeing these. In games where you're having 14, 15, 16 strikeouts per team per game, it's it's killing the game. And it's and now, and now today they came out with saying they're going to try to cut down on the pitchers using foreign substances. That's a whole different thing that's going to take away some of the advantage. You may have seen that in today's game with Garrett Cole. I'm not saying anything, but that's just what they're saying <laughs> on the radios right now, that Garrett yeah. Cole didn't have the same spin rate today as he would as he would normally if he had help. Um, that's the best way I'm going to put it. I'm not going to say anything else about that. But yes, they want they want offense up. They want to the time of the game down. You know, you can't have it both ways. It's either going to be
2: one or the other, and just stick with it. It's funny. Well, you talked about all the strikeouts. Uh, there was a game uh, this past week. The Rays uh, hosting Kansas City, and the two teams combined for 31 strikeouts in a nine inning game. It tied the American League record for strikeouts in a nine inning game. And I know that there's so many fans that are talking about oh, you know, these guys are swinging at everything and they are, but I, I laughed because you look at, you know, batting averages down, uh, you know, but an on-base percentage is down. Slugging is down. Uh, it, it, it's almost like, you know, you want, you want these guys to swing you, but there's going to be a lot of swing and miss. And with all of the, uh, with all the help as as rue like to put uh there for for pitchers we'll we'll see we'll see what happens now if with baseball now saying they want to crack down on this
0: I mean I think that both sides and everyone it's about the money when you boil down to it if offense is something that is going to be sold and that's going to help attract viewers and get people in the game, then the baseball will do what what they want, which is why they originally. Made the ball go further. Ooh, more scoring, more homers. That's exciting. Get them in. Um, if uh, they think that, well, we need to speed up the game because we're losing the audience, they'll try to make rules for that. 18 innings, doubleheader? No, let's make it 14. I don't know. Personally, for a baseball enthusiast like myself, I don't. When I have a Met game and I'm watching it and it goes into the 11th inning, I'm not shutting it off and saying, well, I had enough 11 innings. Ah, forget about it. No, I'm glued to my TV. I'm watching it. If it goes to to twelve, twelve thirty. I'm still watching. I don't say this is awful. I think that it's, it's exciting. They're worried about attracting new people. Uh, it, it's 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 about the money. It's not about the, the purity of the game. Uh, and they're just literally going to try any gimmick they can to do what they think is going to draw the most fans. And to be honest, on the player side, they're going to do what they think is good. If, if they think the DH—why would, would they want the DH? They'll use the fact that, well, pitchers get injured. They'll use that just to say why well, we— don't, but the truth is, well, it means another job for somebody. It means more money for somebody else on the hitting side. For for um, you know double headers, only fourteen innings versus eighteen. To me, you know, it's like a service cut. It's like when this when you have a ten car subway and they make it an eight car subway for the day. It's just a service cut. I'm here to watch an eighteen innings a ball, and what you're only giving me four. And the admission price, they're not slashing the price by twenty percent or whatever it is. They they're charging the same, so uh, I don't like that. Uh, but it means the players have to play less innings, um, and they get paid the same, right? They get paid per game; they don't get paid by inning. So uh, you know, to me, it's it, the decisions are made over money. Is my opinion? I don't hear any baseball player, player or owner saying. Let's do really what what the fans want to do, even if it costs me a little bit more. No, they'll do it if it's cost effective and, you know, uh, they'll do what they think is going to suck in uh, fans watching it in the long run. And that's that's the honest truth. Uh, You know, I love the game, but that's the honest truth.
2: Yep, you're absolutely right. It's all about money and anybody that tells you it's not about money is lying to your face. And the
1: and one more thing. And the reason why they want to do this is because the most marketable players are the offensive players. It is the Fernando Tatis? It is the Vlad Guerrero? It is the Mike Trout? You're not going to have a picture of Jacob DeGrom. I mean, you may, but you're not going to have a picture of, let's say, the second best pitcher in baseball, and and he's going to be the marketable guy. You want the guy, the Shohei Otani, who's the the hitter, also the pitcher, but he's like, you know, different. And you want those hitters to be marketable, and that's why they want more offense.
0: Yeah. Well. uh, DeGrum and it's he might be the MVP this year. He's just doing uh, outstanding things and Otani is just a wonderful story. Uh it's so exciting to watch him cuz he's effective on both sides of the plate. It's just an extra special thing. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Rays here. And let's just start off by just taking a snapshot of where we are right now. In your opinion, Steve, who has been the Rays MVP to date?
2: Oh my goodness. Uh yeah, it's funny because you would think that I, I would say Tyler Glass now, or I would say Randy Rosarena or Joey Wendell. <laughs> to me, I think the most valuable person uh, out there right now is Kevin Cash <laughs> because he's the one that's pulling the strings. They really don't. It's it's funny. I I it's hard to to say this is the guy that that I would point to and say it's he, he's the reason why why the Rays have gone so well. I, I, would, I would say right now, if you were to, you know, you're going to put a gun to my head and say you got to pick one of these players, I'm going to go with the old man. I mean, Rich Hill had a, a month of May that I don't think any of us saw coming. A 3-0 you know, in six starts. He had a 0.78 ERA. He allowed just three earned runs and 36 and a third innings. Uh, he was everything that the Rays asked for. Uh, Of him uh, of a pitcher and then some and he's doing it without having to throw a hundred miles an hour he's doing it with uh with deception and with cunning and with experience that uh, only comes from being in the league for 16 or 17 years and I I really think that Uh, Through the first two months of the season, uh, it's going to be a pitcher that would probably end up being the MVP. And so right now, I would think it would have to be Rich Hill.
0: I was totally not expecting you to say that. So very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Ruvane, your thoughts?
1: Well, first of all, on Rich Hill, he's already thrown 57 innings this year. Last year, he threw 38. 2019, he threw 58. And he hasn't thrown more than 100. In 2018, he threw 132. So the question is, when... Are they gonna? When is he gonna start breaking down? Because he breaks down every year. So you know, if he's an MVP for now, I get it because they wouldn't be where they work. He's considered the number five starter, and he's pitching like a number two right now or a three. So that he's the, he's the, he's a godsend. But I actually think that the MVP for the team, one of the guys you actually mentioned, is Joey Wendell. He's one home run shy of his career high already. He's got and the most RBIs in the season that he's had since 2018. He wasn't healthy in 2019. He really didn't have a he didn't play with that great in, in 2020 either. Mm-hmm. This year he's going opposite field almost 30 percent, 37 percent of the time, which is a career high. And he's been quote unquote the one of the Iron Men on the team. He's played 51 yeah. of 57 games. So with him there and him batting like he did back in
2: 2018, I think he is the most valuable player. It's funny, we you we were mentioning you mentioned Joey Wendell, and I remember when when the Rays acquired Joey Wendell from the Oakland A's in the in the winter it was at the winter meetings uh, between the twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen season. And I, I remember I, I think it was RJ Anderson of CBS Sports, was uh, we were talking and he goes, he goes, You just need to go out and get Neil Walker. That Neil Walker was the was was a free agent at that time. They they the Rays just need to go out and get Neil Walker to be their second baseman. He's gonna get them to war. And I and uh, a bunch of us that were in the press box, uh, every time that Joey Wendell came up and and I think R.J. called them the worst second baseman in the American League uh, at that time. And we every time Joey would come up and and make a play in the field or he would have or he would have a big hit uh, at the plate, we would always hit up R.J. Anderson. Worst second baseman in the American League, huh? And and so we started calling him Joey Two War as uh, as a joke, you know, just saying, Oh, you know, he's gonna be he's gonna get the two war that you want. And he eventually passed uh, the two war uh, rank uh, sometime in in the middle of August. and so then we had to change his nickname because he had gotten a two war. So we started calling him Joey three War. and so just to just to mess them i I like what Joey Wendell does, and and you're right. he has been. He's been uh, he's been a guy that they can count on this year. He had he had, a, he had a, a rough 2019 where he missed a, a significant uh, amount of time due to injury. The other guy that I that I would say because of his uh, the way that he uh, that he played in May, uh, it's great to see Austin Meadows back uh, as well. He had 30 or 31 RBIs uh, in the month of May, and of course, always hits well at uh, at Yankee Stadium, which always helps. But uh, I I think that he's I think his his uh, his OPS uh, went up something like eighty or ninety points over the course of the month of May started out slow in April has really come on in May and hopefully we'll be able to continue on throughout the rest of the year so position where player wise Meadows or Wendell would probably be the guys that you're looking at
0: yeah uh, the uh, offensive leaders in WAR Joey Wendell one point seven Meadows one point five Zunino 1.4, a lot of that comes from the fact that of the catcher, but he's having a monster year. Was a ton of homers. And a Arena at 1.1. Um, Joey Wendell actually was almost a four-war player back in 2018. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, the person that tops them all, who was my pick for the MVP, is Tyler Glass now, uh, with a 1.8 war as a pitcher. Um, he has the 10th highest war in all of baseball as a pitcher. He was my preseason bold prediction, to win the Cy Young and to strike out 250 batters. I actually phrased it as the prediction was he would strike out 250 batters, and I mentioned that he is my favorite for the Cy Young. So far, he's on pace for 300 strikeouts with 106 so far in 77 innings. He's actually second in the league in innings with 77. Shane Bieber would be your leader with 79. He's averaged 6.4 innings per start, which is amazing for the Rays. Tyler Glass. Now, to me, um, you know, going into the season, I have I had three questions about him uh, to to take him to greatness. He was already already doing fantastic, but question number one was, does he have a third pitch? And he's shown that he's had it. He's used it. It's this slider slash cutter. It's effective. It's it's doing great this year. So he's answered number one totally. Cut the walks down. He's always had some trouble with the walks, um, but he's his walk rate down to 8%. His whip is .92 on the year, so that's been effective. But the biggest question I had was the innings, staying healthy. Is he just going to pitch here and there? He's leading the league in innings. He's taken the place of Charlie Morton and Snell being the bearer of the innings. You have to. I know the Rays like to bullpen and and like to to not go through the order more than twice, but you have to have somebody on your roster to eat innings. There's only a certain number of innings to go around, and he has taken the lead. I think Tyler Glass now is legit, and uh, I'm not sure if he's going to win the Saw Young because we do have Colin Bieber. Uh, among the other favorites, but he is absolutely super uh, Tyler Glass now. what are your thoughts on him, Steve?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. the, the big question was could he could he develop a third pitch? this slider cutter uh, is great because now he can throw three different pitches at three different velocities at three different uh, points uh, you know in the strike zone. You know, the fastball up, you've got that slider cutter in the middle third and then the curve ball going down uh, and going all in three different directions. It really, it, it is funny. I was talking with Kevin Kiermeyer about this at the beginning of the season. And we we're like, you know, what do you do if you're a hitter going up against Tyler glass now? And he, he looked at me and he said, I am so happy that I don't have to hit against this guy because I don't know what I would do. I probably would just go sit down, just throw three pitches, and I'm done. Uh it it, it is amazing to see what he can do. I think they call him a walking cheat code. Uh, I forget I forget which of the Rays players called him that, but it was I was like, yeah, it makes it makes sense. Uh, the the walks as you mentioned, the big thing with the with the walks, and we saw it in his outing against the Yankees here this week he has an issue with his thumb where uh he it's it's difficult like it he'll his thumbnail will split and it's it causes him to start bleeding all over the place and they showed it a couple of times on television where his pant leg is like just covered in blood and he's got blood running down the outside of his thumb and when that happens he has a hard time gripping uh the baseball for the fastball and if you if you notice it all of his fastballs were almost being spiked into the dirt in front of home plate because he's trying to throw the fastball with two fingers instead of three. And so it it just makes for a a big problem. And so uh, when he got through the inning, they can go and they can work on it and get it all patched up. And then he can go back out there and be fine. Uh, And that I think is going to be, that's been the big problem uh, that he has had. The other thing uh, that you had to have concern about is Glassnow's numbers when you get above 100 pitches jump dramatically now he's come he's had he's had them come down this year but I think at the beginning of the season I, I went and looked at, at baseball references splits uh, by pitch count and when he gets above 100 pitches his OPS jumps from like 640 And it was up over 1,100 at that point. It's come down. I think it's down below 1,000 because he didn't have a whole lot of a sample size there. But you saw that he ran out of gas at right around 100 pitches. And so that's why I think you've seen Kevin Cash. Even now, you don't see him go much above, say, 103 or 105 pitches. And so... He, that's the next hurdle that I think he's got to get over is getting beyond the 100 pitch mark and getting to 105, 110 on a on a regular basis, and, and being able to show that he can stay effective once he gets to triple digits.
0: Yeah, fair point. Uh, question though, also is, do you think he's going to have an innings limit for the year?
2: I don't think so. Um, I, I, you know, talking with. Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach, and and even talking with Glass himself. uh, I don't think that they have a hard innings limit uh, on him. Now, having all of these extra arms that we've already seen so far this year, having Luis Patino, having Josh Fleming, having uh, Shane McClanahan, and it allows them that even when... They, when they've had these injuries, they've, the injuries to Waka and to Chris Archer that have forced them to go and bring some of these guys up, I think that they, the plan was initially that they were going to use Patino, McClanahan, and Fleming to help give... Uh, the starters extra days so while they don't have a hard in- innings limit maybe they've got a couple of times through the rotation where instead of going every five days they're going every six days or if with a day off every seven days and that allows them to not have to pitch as many innings as they would if you just went straight five through for 162 games. Talk
0: about the uh, closer situation, and uh, it's not the injury guru's trivia. I'll do the trivia today. I let I let Ruve you answer first here. Um, how many players on the Rays had a save last year in the twenty twenty short season? Remember, there's only sixty games on the year. Rays obviously won a nice handful of those.
1: I think I remember. I think it was. I think it was in double digits. I think it was either eight. I think it was somewhere between eight and ten. I'm going to say nine.
0: You know, Steve. Can I answer?
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, it, uh, now, are we counting the World Series? No, a no, Regular or season. is this just the regular season? Regular. It was twelve. 12. Uh, <laughs> they had twelve Holy different cow. pitchers that that recorded a <laughs> save last year. Don't ask me. Right now, I I think they have either six or seven. Six. That uh, yeah. I I knew it was. I I knew it was six, and I didn't remember. Let's name them. Let's name seven. them all. All right. This year they are. Are we talking about last year?
0: This year. This year. <laughs> so far.
2: This year. Uh Castillo, yep. Fairbanks, Fairbanks uh, is 1, Castillo 8, Jeffrey Springs, Springs 2. Uh let me see here. FireEisen That's 3 of them. He's
0: the second place on the team. So, yep.
2: So Castillo, Fairbanks, Does uh Thompson Springs, no FireEisen Um I'm trying to think off the top of my head. TR Trevor Richards. Uh. Trevor Richards has one. Oh, and, my God. And AK. Oh, and Andrew Kittredge. Andrew
0: Kittredge has Kittredge. two. So, you know, you can see that they're doing the their thing. Uh, Nick Anderson injured doesn't have any. Um, the question is, what is the situation here? And, you know, this is a fantasy podcast, and it's important to get the saves. We all knew coming into the season that, well, don't count on the Rays for saves. Um, we've seen Castillo get the lion's share. Fire Eisen has gotten the last week three. Um, and of course, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Nick Anderson's status as well. But where do you see th- this going for the rest of the season? Do you see this kind of distribution where Castillo gets you know 60 percent of the saves, Fire Eisen maybe gets 20% percent and everybody else gets a trickle? Is that gonna gonna keep going like, like that?
2: i I think that you may see Fire Eisen get more than that. i I really do think it is contingent on matchups. Uh, Kevin Cash is huge. When it comes to matchups and so if you've got uh, a stretch where you've got some tough uh, right handers coming up in the seventh inning he'll use fire eyes in there and save Jeffrey Springs for the three or for the two lefties at the bottom of the order that are going to go for the ninth inning uh, for a save possibility that he is really really big into. Um, controlling the matchups. And so uh, while I do think that you will see Castillo and and to a lesser extent Fire be the the guys that you will normally see in the ninth inning. You will see Pete Fairbanks get an opportunity, especially if Castillo or Fire is gone uh, three straight days or, or three out of four uh, that you would see Fairbanks get that opportunity to close out. I think that if you've got tough left handers, uh, Jeffrey Springs is a guy that gets a ton of swing and miss. And so they love to have uh, Springs in that upper opportunity as well. I think I saw last year his uh, caught uh, his called strike and whiff percentage was like 36 percent. And there was only like three other guys that uh, had enough innings to qualify. That that were at that level. So he was at like elite level uh, CSW percentage swinging rates last year uh, as a as a uh, as a reliever. So I I really do think that it is going to probably be Castillo and to a lesser extent Fire Eisen But you you said it. It's very tough to uh rely on the raised bullpen if you're looking for saves in your fantasy league it's very tough to to go with a raised reliever in in that uh in that aspect
1: and are they gonna are they gonna get anything out of nick anderson i mean he injured himself he had an injured elbow back in spring they said Mm -hmm. he was thinking about getting like a stem cell injection or prp injection and he said maybe around he be maybe back around the all-star break is there any update on him at all
2: uh, right now, as of right now, that is still the thought that he could be back at, at some point before, or I should say, sometime after the All Star break. July is is still the the target for him. Um, unlike Chaz Rowe and Oliver Drake, uh, we have not seen him on a mound yet. Uh, Roe actually started his rehab assignment here this week with uh, with Triple A Durham. Drake is, I guess. Uh, also close to going on rehab, but we have not seen Nick Anderson at this time uh, on a mound, at least while we've been there at Tropicana field. I'm not saying that he hasn't had uh, times playing catcher or anything like that, but uh, Anderson's, uh, a- Anderson's status is being held closer to the vest. Let's say than uh, then Rowe or Drake
0: last thing on the closers. You mentioned, Oh, cash likes to do Kevin cash, likes to do this. Um, Is this going to be a Tampa – is this a Tampa Bay Rays uh, analytics directive where, um, you know, if somehow Cash left, they would get another manager that would do the same thing? Or is this something that's really initiated by Cash that he's put on the Rays? You know, I'm just trying to get a feel for is this what's going to go on in Tampa for the foreseeable future or is this something that's more of a a Cash thing that he's going to take wherever he goes?
2: Now, this is this, I think, is is very organizational philosophy based. I I really do think that it starts from the top of the baseball operations department with with Eric Neander and his lieutenants, Peter Bendix and and Carlos Rodriguez. Uh, I think that it and it does trickle down and and everybody is in line, you know, from. From the the top of the baseball operations department through the coaching staff through the manager through the minor league uh, staff, uh, I really think that it is a organizational thing that they are looking at. Uh, I mean you've you've seen you've seen what the Rays have brought up. You know when it comes to uh, when it comes to pitchers and, and especially relief pitchers, they like guys that throw hard. Uh, they like guys you know with. You, I, I, you've seen Castillo you've seen uh, Jose Alvarado in Philadelphia to a lesser extent when he came up in uh, 2018 he was like a, a shock to the system because he throws so hard and he gets so much movement on his pitches for being thrown so hard I've never seen anybody who throws a hundred mile an hour two-seamer with that much movement on it the problem is is he's he has a hard time commanding that and that all comes from uh from his uh, he's not able to repeat his release uh consistently and talking to somebody in the in the raised farm system uh when watching uh, alvarado as a double a guy throwing a bullpen session in port charlotte i asked someone uh from the Rays farm system i was like this guy's incredible and they said yeah and if he could throw the same pitch twice in a row he might be dominated the big Uh league level so, right. but, uh, you know, Emilio Pagan, uh, who's now in San Diego, uh, was the, was the same way they like guys that, that can throw hard and, uh, in the, in the bullpen. And so I think that it is more organizational than just Kevin cash, but cash is in line with that philosophy.
1: So, so, so the days of Fernando Rodney are gone of one person getting all the saves.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly think so. Uh, you know, they don't have an role as Chapman, uh, uh, you know, someone someone who is used to that role. They've gotten the young guys to buy in to the philosophy that, hey, you know, we may need you in the seventh inning to go through the tough, you know, the three, four, five guys in the seventh, you know, as opposed to getting the nine, one, two guys in, in the ninth. So. But but we need you in that spot because that's the spot where, where you will be better. It'll be better for us, and it's better for you as well. We're putting you in the best position to succeed as well.
0: Yeah, and the Rays are certainly not going to pony up money to get a really prime reliever. They think they can do a lot better at a cheaper, more cost-effective rate. From within, doing their own thing. Um, funny, Eno Saris mentioned last year, one thing he noticed that the Rays relievers all have very wonky arm slots and arm angles, throwing from very horizontal left to very horizontal right. They're just trying these very different approaches to uh, to streamline and get people out and any way they can, and they're doing it cost-effectively. That That's the name of the game. It, it's It's per dollar, what can we do? And this is how they're being efficient. In the bullpen. Uh, let's go on to g Choi. Ruvain, do you have an injury update? g Choi batting 304 on the year, two homers in his 1st forty-six .46 at-bats. He he looks really good.
1: Yes, well, when he's on the field. That's the thing. When, he, when he's on the field, he looks really good. Um, he had a knee injury. He had surgery for his knee. He came back. He actually missed today's game. I think it was because of the groin tightness. Um, so he's, he's he's not been able to stay 100% healthy, but he's still managing to produce when he's on the field. So he's a very important cog to them, especially because he plays first base. They don't have that many pure first basemen, and he's actually – he may not look it, but he's a very acrobatic first baseman. He does those stretches at first base. The Rays like him for his defense a lot, from what I assume. As long as he can stay healthy, then he's good. But, I mean, the matter of him is just staying on the field.
0: And, uh, Steve, anything to add to that? But also, uh, what in the world was going on last year where he switch hit? What was that all about?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, Ariel. And and Rue's absolutely right about about G-Man. They love his defense, which is amazing because you you remember when G-Man was in New York when he played for the Yankees and when he was in Seattle with the Mariners and then with the— um with the angels and the brewers you didn't see a lot of them in the field he was a pinch hitter he played he dh'd a lot you never saw him a lot and even when he came to the Rays, and he came to the Rays and the deal that sent brad miller to milwaukee which was uh kind of a shock at the time and then when milwaukee dfa'd miller two and a half weeks later we were like well that was a, that was probably the easiest trade we could even think of making um so but we never thought that G-Man was that good of a first baseman cuz I don't think I even saw him with a glove the first year that he was here and then Kevin Cash said oh yeah we're going to try G-Man at first base and there were people that laughed and I'll put my hand up I was one of them I didn't think that Choi was going to be any good as a as a defender and he's turned he's turned out to be just incredible. I, uh, Root talked about the, the stretches that that he has done. Uh, he, had, he wasn't able to do that so much this past offseason because of the pandemic. So there were no yoga studios, no Pilates places open in South Korea during the pandemic. So he didn't get a chance to do a whole lot of the stretching that he normally did during the offseason. Came in, he was a little heavier because of the, lack of the lack of the places that were open in South Korea. He goes home. Uh, every off season and he uh, had the knee issue uh, some soreness some inflammation they ended up having to go in and and do a scope on it right at the end of spring training and he missed the first month of the regular season because of it and then when he went on his rehab he was complaining about some soreness and the training staff had to explain to him you're going to still be sore there's going to be soreness you're going to have to learn to 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 play with it. And so he's they've they've tried to give him a couple of extra days here and there to kind of manage the knee soreness. He came out early in one of the games in Dunedin because they didn't they wanted to make sure that they could manage the knee. And now he's dealing with this groin uh, tightness uh, that happened here over the last day or two didn't play today against Garrett Cole, who he owns. Uh, you know, you you want to talk about a guy that Garrett Cole does not like to face. Uh, it's usually G-Man Choi, and to uh, to not have Choi in the lineup, I thought was going to be bad. But he's uh, but now they've got to deal with this groin issue, and he's still dealing with the knee. They need G-Man Choi in the lineup for more than just his defense, though. He's one of these guys that he works. Such an incredible at-bat. You know that you're not going to strike G-Man Choi out normally on three pitches. He's going to see six, seven, eight pitches in an at-bat. He really does put the spurs to almost any pitcher that's out there, at least workload-wise. You know that they're going to have to throw a number of pitches to try and get him out, and that means that you get into the bullpen that much quicker.
0: Yeah, last night I had my own uh, softball games. Uh, usually you have one game at night, but we uh, had a rain out makeup and we had doubleheader. I pitched the first game, but uh, we won that game. Uh, second game, uh, well, our backup pitcher is our first baseman, so for the first time ever I played first base. Nice. And it's, it's not as easy as you think. I mean, there was one play where our shortstop threw it high and I had to stretch up and stay on the bag. I made the play, but you feel it Attaboy. after the game a little bit, you know?
2: Oh, absolutely. You'll learn uh, first baseman uh, will tell you that there are two things that are that are unbelievable that that are for first base that first baseman experience that nobody else on the on the field experience. And that is the footwork around the bag at first base and the stretching, because you don't have to do the stretches like that if you're a second baseman or a shortstop or a third baseman. And yes, there is footwork around the bag at second base, but it's not quite the same as when you are a first baseman. And so talking to talking to players uh, and especially those that are trying to learn first base, those are the two things that, Almost to a man, they tell you are the two most difficult things to get down when you're tra- when you're transitioning to play first base.
0: Yeah, and the guys on my, on my uh, team were yelling at me because I did not bring out a ball in, in, before the inning to practice. Oh. I'm so I'm so used to either pitching or I used to play shortstop, third base, and yeah, I got to do that. that that's yeah, like a, that's yeah. a that's a, a that's rule. a
2: no no there, Ariel. Come I on, man. I know,
0: I know. And we had the third base <laughs> dugout, so it wasn't like right next to me. I could just oh, here you go. Let me just sneak it in. So yeah. I oh no, you gotta,
2: you gotta you gotta you got a wave at hey, throw <laughs> me a ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You got to have somebody in the in the dugout throw you a ball. Come on. Yeah,
0: they did. They did. Uh, we were kidding around. Uh, uh, so uh, let, let's talk about Vidal Brujan and Wander Franco. Excellent prospects. Uh, I think we're all waiting to see them both. From your opinion, who gets called up first? What are the race plans for each of them in, in your best opinion here?
2: Well, when, when they traded Willie Adamas, I thought that that was going to be the time to see Wander Franco, uh, but uh, Eric Neander talked about Taylor Walls and it, that he was more advanced defensively at shortstop than Franco. And so he was going to get the first opportunity the way that Wander has played and he's been very hot and cold at AAA. You know, it's to be expected. He, he's 20 years old and this is the first time he's been playing above high A uh, in the minor leagues. So he, he made a huge jump to go from the Florida State League in 2019 to playing in Triple A with the Durham Bulls here in 2021 as a 20-year-old. Uh, he started out gangbusters offensively. His bat cooled down. It is starting to heat back up as he's made the adjustments. He's an incredible, incredible player. I've gotten a chance to see him a couple of times in person. Uh, I saw him at low a back in 2019 the race had a day off and the uh charlotte stone crabs who were the Rays affiliate in the florida state league at the time uh were playing up in clearwater and so i decided i was gonna go over and watch the kid he's amazing at the plate i mean you're talking about a switch hitting shortstop with a strike zone that is polished he's got like a 10-year veteran strike zone he is so good at knowing what is a strike and what isn't a strike. He went, and this was in uh, in twenty earlier in 2019 when he was uh, in low A, I had a scout tell me he went, I want to say it was a week and a half without swinging and missing at a pitch, which is incredible uh, for someone who was at the time 18 years old. Um, I think that you're going to see him at some point I would say after the All-Star break as well, you know, that that July between the All-Star break and the and the uh, trade deadline is probably the sweet spot. For him, Vidal Brujan is is interesting because they are using him as kind of the super utility guy. He plays short. He can play second. They've groomed him to start playing in the outfield this year. I think they'll give him some more time because they want him to be used to playing in the outfield as well because I think that there's a distinct possibility that his home may end up being in the outfield at some point, whether it's in center field, whether it's in right field, he's played both at the triple a level. Um, but he's a guy that, uh, uh, again, another switch hitter and a guy that can, you can put in the number one spot, uh, in your lineup, because he is the fat, he's the fastest guy in the, in the organization. He's a guy that, that is the best base runner in the organization. You want him uh, at the top of the order, uh, from when he comes up. I think that, sometime after the 4th of July and before the trade deadline is is my guess on both of them.
0: Yeah, and I actually like, for fantasy, I like Brujan better than Franco for this year because I think Bruhan has the ability to just steal and steal and steal uh, and that's going to help uh, rotisserie owners um, more than Franco who, as you say, is going to be hot and cold and uh, you know you never know what the jump is to the major league level anything to add Ruvein
1: yeah bruhan is is 3 years older than him and he's actually hitting almost just as well as wander franco i mean he's for, right now for the year bruhan is batting 309 with 7 homers and 11 stolen bases and this is only in 24 games so far so you know what i think he will probably i, I completely agree i think he's going to be called up first and i think he's going to be one of their they actually don't need to make any trades. I don't think the Raids really do need to make any trades because instead of making trades, they just bring these guys up. They fill holes that that they have already. They don't need to trade for anything right now.
0: Yeah. The the Raids – and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Steve. The way that the Raids trade is they see – a player in the organization, even if he's really good, but if he's being paid some kind of money and they think they can replace him for most of those stats and most of that ability for next to nothing from the minors, they'll do that. I remember, was it Corey Dickerson? They they had him and he was fine and he was great year, but they're like, nah, we're not going to pay him, even if it's probably a reasonable price for what a player in the major leagues are going to be because they felt that they could... Uh, fill that need from within, almost uh, you know, eighty percent of the way. Why pay him, even if it's a reasonable price? They don't operate on what's reasonable for the player. They operate on what's cost effective for their own. Uh, so I can. That's why you know they, they traded their shortstop just now because hey, we got some shortstops coming up. Why in the world do we want to hold this guy who might get us something? You know, he's more of more value on trading wise. Uh, that that's my thoughts.
2: Yep. not only not only that but they understand uh, and they've done this a couple of times with a couple of other guys that you you may not even realize that there was going to be a squeeze between Willie Adamas and Wander Franco and there were two guys that they thought had the opportunity to be big league players but they knew that there was going to, they weren't going to have any room for them they had to get rid of them so they could find a way to supplement the 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 organization both at the at the at the level at the major league level and also in the minor league levels and get get the cruff out of the way so to speak so you could have a smooth transition between Willie Adamas and and Wanda Franco and that's Jake Cronenworth and Nick Solak those are two pretty good infielders both in the Rays organization and both now uh, doing well at the big league level but they just didn't have room for them Uh, because you were going to have this squeeze between Willie Adamas and Wander Franco. So it it is kind of funny how that works. You mentioned Corey Dickerson, Jake Derizzi is another guy that uh, they they were um, both of those guys, amazingly enough, beat the Rays in arbitration and then got traded. Uh, So but I will tell you, I will tell you this. Andrew Friedman, when he was uh, the GM here in Tampa Bay, I I was talking with him during spring one time uh, just on the side. And and I was asking him about philosophies, about you know, trading guys, and he said there were two things that he said to me. Number one, he said, if we have to go after and compete with other teams for starting pitching in the free agent market, we are dead. And that's why you never see the Rays going after the top-tier starting pitching that goes out free agent-wise. They wouldn't be able to afford guys like Garrett Cole anyway. And they, so they that's why they've always been draft, develop, and deal when it comes to top, uh, top talent starting pitching. David Price, James Shields, Blake Snell, the list goes on and on. Um, the other thing Chris that, Archer, that he, yeah, Chris, or- Chris. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Do you, that worked out. We, we we've got to we've got to talk about that deal at, at some point. But the the other thing that Andrew that Andrew told me is that when they make a deal, they have to worry about not only the the present but also the the long term. It's both short term and long term when they make a deal. And that's why when you see some of these deals, like the David Price deal, I'll I'll just go into that one quickly because they got a piece. That helped them at the time in Drew Smiley. But they also got a piece that was going to help them long term in Willie Adamas. And that was the piece that they were looking they were looking for. uh, And that was the key. It wasn't Drew Smiley and Nick Franklin who were the two pieces they got at the big league level. They were looking at Adamas. This is the guy that's going to help us. That's going to help us restock our minor league system. Because at that point in 2014 the cupboard was bare. And that's when Friedman and Joe Madden decided they were going to uh, exit stage right, and so they've they've gotten to a point where it's like, okay, we still are looking at the short term and the long term. When you trade Tommy Fam, yes, you get Hunter Renfro in the short term, but you also get the slap D prospect and Xavier Edwards for the long term as well. All the trades that you can see that the Rays make, short term, long term, is always addressed.
0: Yeah, We have a couple mailbag questions. Uh, Carl actually asked two of them. Uh, number one, we're talking about them. If Wander and Bruhan come up, what happens to Walls, Broussard, Wendell, Lowe? What happened to these guys, and do you see another middle infield trade for the Rays in 2021?
2: Eh, it's possible. Um, I, I think that if, if Vidal Brujan is coming up, the person that's probably going to be on the way out first is Mike Brasso. Brasso still has an option left, so they can send him to AAA without without any issue. And and Brasso, of everybody that has underperformed, and there are people that have underperformed in one way or the other, like Brandon Lau against lefty pitching has been awful this year. But Mike Brasso was supposed to be the person that picked up the slack against lefties, so they could get Lau out of the uh, out of the lineup. But Brasso's hitting like 150 against lefties, and he's a right-handed hitter. So I, I really think that if there's somebody that's going to go down, it's going to end up being Brasso uh, because he still has an option. Um, I, I think that's probably going to end up being uh, the case. And then Wander's not on the 40-man yet. So uh, that's that's going to be another question altogether. And, and if there's going to be a deal, it's probably going to be to do to to trade someone that can open up that forty man spot for Wander. I don't know if it'll be an infielder though.
0: Right, right. Uh, no, good point. Obviously, I think they would want to trade away the infielders. Um, he also asks, uh, when will we see Brendan McKay pitching in the big leagues again?
2: You know, I, I think you'll see Brendan McKay hitting in the big leagues before you'll see Brendan McKay oh, wow. pitching. Um, he came in. He came into the uh, into the camp, and they were like, "We're going to give him an opportunity to hit," and so they they've allowed him to to DH. Um, I I think that you know, coming off of what turned out to be some pretty significant shoulder surgery, um, I think that they are going to take their time with McKay, the pitcher. Uh, I think that you could see McKay, the hitter. Much earlier than you'll see McKay the pitcher at the big league level. I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see McKay the pitcher until 2022. But you'll see McKay the hitter at some point this year. All right.
0: Let's end off here with uh, what we predict for the AL East. Let's start with Ruvain first. How do you see the five finishing?
1: Well, I think the top is going to be the Rays. I think they're the cream of the crop. I think they're going to do very well for the rest of the year. And I think the Orioles end at the bottom, as we all think. Now, the Rays are very interesting in that right now, four of their starters are lefties. And the Yankees don't hit lefties right now. Up up until now, the Yankees are nine and ten versus lefty starters. So I know they don't have that. They still going to play the Yankees a couple more times. I don't think the Red Sox are going to keep up the rate that they started at. But I still think the Red Sox will going are going to be in third place. I think actually that the Blue Jays are going to jump up, and I think the Blue Jays are going to finish in second. I think the Red Sox will finish in third, and I'm going to say the Yankees finish in fourth, just because they're so such a home run based team And they're not hitting home runs, and they're tr- tr- putting their trust in these guys. To all get hurt, and their pitching is in question. I don't see them making the playoffs this year.
0: Yankees in fourth. Nice job by the Mets fan of you. All right, what's, no problem. What, Anytime. What, what say you, Steve?
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, listening to to Ru's comments there, I agree with a lot of it. Here's the other thing that the Yankees uh, have been have have gotten the the luxury of so far this year that the other the other teams in the division haven't. And that is their schedule. I mean, they've played 10 games against the Orioles and they've played all six games against their against the Tigers already this year and, and got swept on the road uh, so, by the Tigers. So I, and they haven't played the Red Sox yet. So I really I do think that the schedule is going to come back to bite Aaron Boone in the butt here uh down the stretch i think that the rays will finish in first i don't think they're gonna finish with 102 wins as they were uh tracked out to after 54 games uh uh, being uh 34 and 20 i don't think they're gonna get to 102 wins i do think that they'll be in the upper 90s uh and close to that 97 where the uh the franchise record is for wins in a season of course the orioles the orioles are a mess and uh, I just don't think that, uh, that they've got really m- much of an opportunity to be anywhere close to even fourth place. Uh, I think that you're going to see that, that three teams in the middle. Uh, and I, I agree with Rue. I, I do think that the way that uh, Toronto has played this year, I think that they're going to get improved pitching. Uh, you know, you're going to get Nate Pearson back. And, and I really do think that. The, the Blue Jays have enough hitting uh, that can uh, out-slug their mistakes. So I think they finish second with the Red Sox third and the Yankees fourth. I'm going to go the exact same setup as Rue. So good on you, Rue. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now now the pressure's on
1: you. Go ahead, Ariel.
0: I'm going to go Orioles win the Vita. No. Uh, I'm going to go—I think Orioles are going to finish in last. Uh, fangrafts currently give the Orioles a 0% chance of— making the playoffs. Uh, I'm going to go Rays, number one. I'm going to go Yankees, number two. I'm going to go Blue Jays, three. Red Sox, four. Orioles, five. Um, Yeah, the Yankees are are better than this. You know, I I think, though, with the Yankees, and and we'll talk next week more uh, about the Yankees on our show here, um, I think that the Yankees are biding their time at shortstop for free agency this year. There's so many good free agent shortstops available and Gleyber Torres is just an adventure every day out there. I mean, he just he, he, this is not his position. It, he's just filling in this year till someone else comes, and it's affecting him on the hitting side also. I think he needs to go back to second base. It'll it'll help his hitting, um, and. Uh, you know, Yankees will muscle what they can until I think Corey Kluber going down was a very very big loss for them. Maybe I think and they, I think the Yankees will try to uh, fix that on the trade market at the deadline. I think they have to. Um, and yeah, um, I think the Blue Jays have a lot of firepower, and I think they're going to make a trade for a pitcher uh, to help them down the home stretch. Um, they made the playoffs last year. I think they're going to do that again. The Red Sox, I don't know if they're they're this hot. Uh, and, and they stay that way. Uh, I think there's a good shot they'd be in contention. They might be in. They'll be in contention for the wild card all year long. But I think they they do fade out in the end. Uh, and they, you know the Rays the Rays look strong. I mean they're currently the best team in baseball. Uh, and I think uh, I think they keep it up. I, I think that uh, they they make the playoffs uh, easily.
2: Yeah, the only thing about the the Red Sox that that I have on it is that you know, if they get Chris Sale back and there is talk that that Sale could be back at some point uh here closer to the end of the year. Um you know, that might be that might be the the addition that the the Red Sox need to keep their pitching afloat. And and I think that as long as you know, they have Devers and Bogarts, they they've got they've gotten a lot out of their uh, out of their offense, that I was definitely, I'm certainly surprised uh, about as well. well um, I think the uh, the
0: pitching. I think the pitching is what's keeping them. Uh, you you have Garrett Richards. You have Iovaldi. Martin Perez Pavetta, is pitching great. Where
2: where's, where'd Nick Pavetta come from? I, I Nick know he's, Pavetta. A, I know he's a, Yeah, I, I, I think that, they're
0: they're getting great performances from marginal pitchers, and that is propping up their oh, their ten games over five hundred just because of that.
1: But also, remember, the Yankees The Yankees are going to get Luis Severino back also. He just went on a rehab stint, so he's going to come back, so he's going to give a little boost sure. to the Yankees sure. also because they're also yeah. very thin at pitcher.
2: Yeah, Severino and Sailor, I think, are are very similar in that aspect. And, but I had said for the for the Yankees at the beginning of the year, they were pinning their hopes on guys that, with a lot of question marks. Kluber had only made eight starts in the previous two years. Tyon was coming off of Tommy John's surgery uh jordan montgomery was coming off of tommy john surgery herman was coming off of the suspension for domestic violence and davy garcia had what 24 innings in the big leagues last year so i i thought there was a lot of question marks for the yankees starting pitching and that is that's what i've seen uh you know pitching wise uh has been the big problem The the other big problem with the yankees is they hit the ball on the ground a lot and they're not very fast so you've gotten a ton of double plays out of them
0: yeah well, this was a fantastic uh, episode here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Steve. Why, why don't you tell everybody, uh, where, uh, once again, where we can all uh, see your stuff, follow you, and all things Steve Carney?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I am on social media at Steve Carney. I know, very original. Uh, S-T-E-V-E-C-A-R-N-E-Y. Uh, and it's stpete9.com. It's S-T-P-E-T-E 9. You can either use the number 9 or you can spell out 9. It doesn't matter. They both go to the same place. Uh, stpete9.com is the website. Under the Orange Roof is the podcast, which drops every Monday. And you can get that wherever you get your, uh, your favorite podcasts, including the Beat the Shift podcast.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve.
2: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks. All right. We'll be back with Waiver Wire pitcher preview and Ruvain's injury report. All right, welcome back to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Uh, let's do the Waiver Wire report here. Ruvain, who are a couple of Waiver Wire picks that you might be considering this week? Okay,
1: I got two picks this week. First of all, I'm going to go with Ahmed Rosario, another former man. I know I like to pick former Mets here. In the last week, he's batted 316 with a homer and a stolen base and five runs. He's eligible both at shortstop and outfield, which means if you're very shallow in the year outfield right now because of injuries, he's a guy you can put in there. He's only owned in 23% of CBS leagues, so he's a guy who's available in most leagues. Another guy I can want to mention is Caleb Smith. He's a possible move to the starting rotation for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's always had a very high K rate. He's got 42 strikeouts already in 38 innings. His ERA is 3.32 with a whip of 1-2-9, which is good, um, which is okay, actually. Um, but he's only given up three runs in his last 13 innings with 13 strikeouts. He's only 12% owned in CBS, so he should be available. And if he becomes a starter, he's even more valuable.
0: So I'll give you a couple names here. First of all, we mentioned J.P. Eisen back in the uh, show. He's he's gotten three saves this week. He's only 25% owned on CBS. Um, I mean, everybody in all my leagues picked him up last week. Um, It's time to pick him up if you haven't yet. You know, a word about the Rays pitchers for Fantasy, the the closers. We know that they're not going to get a 100% share of anything, right? We know that. But— they're getting something. They're getting a twenty percent share of the saves. They're getting a fifty percent share of the saves. Um, they're also pitching fantastic. They've got ratios. They do strike out people. In Roto, they're worth it for the ratios plus the hint of saves. Don't just think, well, I'm not gonna pick a, a raised guy because he won't get most of the saves. No, they're actually a value. If you have two saves or two saves guys on your team, Having him on your team helps you with the ratios, and they'll sprinkle in a save here and there. Uh, before the season started, we were very big on Diego Castillo because we thought we projected him for thirty percent of the saves share. But with his ratios, it's a fantastic value. He was an eight dollar player that we got for two dollars in our mixed leagues, and still worth it. Right now, Fire Eisen is about a dollar, running about a dollar of value, uh, just from that short stint that he had this past week. Uh, I mean, that certainly was a nice $15 a week at least. Um, definitely something that if if he's available, you should get him. I also mentioned uh, Pavin Smith, 55% owned, 295 homers on the year. He's on a 12-game hitting streak in which he's batting 417 with two homers, just heating up at the plate. Uh, baseball players are streaky, and he's on that streak. Uh, and he's, um, also
1: no, he's also another guy who plays outfield. He plays first base, so he's dual eligibility in a lot of leagues already.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I'm also going to mention one guy, an old friend of ours that we touted a couple years back, Patrick Wisdom. He's only 10% owned on the Cubs this year. To start the season, he's batting 435 with four homers and only 23 at-bats. That's quite a nice power Output he has there, and he's a stolen base threat as well. Certainly, the average is a little bit propped up, but the power-speed combo will play, and as much as long as he's getting playing time, that is worth it in 15-team leagues. Probably worth it in 12-team leagues right now with all the injuries going on. So check out Patrick Wisdom, who is pretty owned, pretty not owned across the board. Anyone and else,
1: Dan? the Patrick Wisdom is a good pickup because there are a lot of injuries on the team right now. Matt Duffy's out. Um, and, and they're moving Chris Bryan all over the place right now, so he he will find playing time if he stays hot. If he, He's not going to stay this hot, but if he stays hot, he will get his playing time.
0: Yeah, I think he qualifies at first, although he does play some third base, so he could be eligible across the diamond. Pitcher preview. What say you, Ruben?
1: Okay, I got two guys to mention. Um, This is, again, it's still early on in the year. I don't know if you want to throw these guys, but if you need wins and you're falling behind wins, these are two possible uh, pitchers who can get you the wins. First of all, I'm going to go with Chris Bubik of Kansas City. He's at... got two matchups, at the Angels and at Oakland. He's only 33% on in CBS, and his last three starts, 17 innings, 12 Ks, an ERA of 1.59. However, he also has seven walks during those 17 innings. So whether that'll hold up or not... You may or may not get a good chance to win, but you'll get some strikeouts, and you'd still have that opportunity in case the Kansas City Royals are starting to score runs that night. Another guy I want to mention is Antonio Senzatella. He's only 7% owned in CBS. He's gone with a 2.7 ERA in his last three starts with 16 innings and 9 strikeouts, and his matchups are really good. They're at Miami and at Cincinnati. Also two of the teams that are not real big powerhouses and teams that if he's pitching well he can go. To, put the Rockies in a, in a chance to be able to win.
0: Yeah, he's on the road as well, which helps. Uh, he's a ground ball pitcher. Um, he's uh, right now at over 53% on the year ground ball rate, which will help him from utter disaster. He's not going to go under 4 ERA, uh, although at home he could. Uh, last year he had a 3-4-4 four, four ERA. He had a really good year. But because of that ground ball rate, you're not going to get the um, tremendous blow-ups because he's always got some way of getting out of the inning. Uh, so, again, if you're looking for wins, he does pitch somewhat deep into games. Last couple starts, he's got seven innings in a couple of those games. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very decent one there. Um, I'm not going to highlight, I don't see any good two-start matchup. But I do see Tariq Skubal, who's 45% owned in CBS, probably worth looking at here. He does have a tough matchup this week against Chicago, the White Sox. Uh, but in look at his strikeout numbers. In four of his last five starts, he has had at least eight strikeouts, a couple of them at nine strikeouts, ERA of 3-3 over that span does uh, still walk some people. He's got a one two five whip over that span, but he's looking a lot better than he did the whole year. If you're gonna look at him and look at his numbers for the whole season, you're missing what he's done in the last month. Um, so take a look at Tyreek Skoobel. I think the the uh, they're going to let him pitch. They're going to let him uh, um, spread out his wings, and he's getting better. He was touted as as a as a possible sleeper before the season starts. I, I think you should definitely give him a consideration if available in your league, or if he's not, um, think about trading. Because as long as people see the, uh, it's another skill in fantasy. If people see. Oh, my God, what a bad ERA on the season. That might mask what he's doing lately. Uh, and that's another good way to, to trade.
1: And he's a guy you pick up not just for this week or next week, but he's a long term, possible rest of the season type of pitcher to pick up.
0: Yes, I would not pick him up for essentially for this season. I guess he, I should have mentioned him in the waiver wire section, not the pitcher preview. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, all right, Ruvain, uh, no shortage of injuries on the year. Let's give us the injury report for this week.
1: Okay, I'm only going to cover a few because there's just so many to cover, but we'll start with Ramon Laureano. He has a right groin string. We mentioned this when Jeff- Jessica Kleinstrom was on here. We don't know how long he's going to be out for because we're still waiting for the MRI. Seth Brown, Stephen Piscotti, Tony Kemp, Chad Pinder, They're all going to fill in. There's going to be a combination of them. So if you need an outfielder, they're going to get more playing time. Mike Yastrzemski was just put on the IL with a right thumb sprain. His initial x-rays came back negative, but it's sore enough for him to be on the IL. We don't know how long he's going to be out for yet. Mitch Garver, he has a groin injury. He got a foul ball hit in the wrong spot for men. He ended up going to the hospital. An ultrasound was done, which showed that he required surgery. He had surgery. They don't know how long, it's gonna rec- how long the recovery time is going to be. Ryan Jeffers should you see the bulk of catching while uh, Garver's out. So if you need a replacement catcher for now, Jeffers, he actually homered the other day. He's a good pickup as well because very few teams own him right now. Steven Strasburg was placed on the IL with a neck strain following his last start. He only lasted two innings or 30 pitches. He had a tightness in his right trapezius muscle. That's the muscle behind the back and in the neck by the shoulder blade. Um, they don't have a timeline when he's going to come back, but he come, this happens a lot for, for him, he just has a lot of mechanical issues that was going on when he was pitching. He didn't look right. Manager Dave Martinez actually noted that Rogelio Armenteros and Ben Bramer are candidates to start. But also Eric Fetty is on a rehab assignment right now, so he's a guy who may fill in as well. Another guy who just went on the aisle recently is Madison Bumgarner. He had an MRI done for his left shoulder, which showed right shoulder inflammation. We don't know how long he's going to be out for, but he's going to be out for at least the minimum of 10 days. Kyle Lewis, the former Rookie of the Year for the Seattle Mariners, went on the aisle with a, quote-unquote, small meniscus tear, which now they're saying is actually more severe than they originally thought. Manager Scott Service said that Lewis is really down and disappointed, and he could miss a considerable amount of time if his meniscus is torn. Now, typically, a torn meniscus surgery is usually a month returned after that, but if there's something else going on, it may actually be a little bit longer. Um... Those are the main guys. There's a whole bunch of other guys who are injured. There are a whole bunch of people who will be coming back soon. Mike Moustakis is going to be coming back soon. Colin Moran is going to be coming back soon. Bryce Harper, there's no real timetable yet when he's going to coming back. He's not really swinging fully yet. Um, George Springer, he just started running again, so we don't know when he's going to come back yet. Dylan Moore is on a, a rehab assignment, so if he's available and you need stolen bases, he's the guy you may want to get. Lance McCullers actually felt great after a, a throwing session. He had a, a, a shoulder injury. We don't know if he's going to require a rehab assignment, but he may be back in like a week or two. This is a lot. There's a lot of injuries going on. The rash of injuries just continues. Hopefully it'll slow down during the course of the season because – Otherwise, it just it's just very very sad. No 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 other way of putting it.
0: You know, four out of the last six players that you mentioned were are on our uh, uh, mixed labor team. Uh, we actually had a slump. We, we mentioned how we were in first place last week on the show. Well, we flipped a second. Well, our players are injured. It's uh you know it, that'll do that to you when you have literally four starters go on the IL and you can't even replace half of them because some of these injuries come up midweek. So.
1: Well, that's 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 one of the new strategy way of having to deal with fantasy baseball. You have to know how to deal with these injuries, because otherwise every team is going to deal with injuries. Every single team will deal with them. It's a matter who deals with them the best. And those are the ones that end
0: up on top. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for our show today. A long one. But we got some great in-depth reporting on the Rays from Steve Carney. Many thanks to him for being on the show. Um, Once again, I'm Ariel Cohen at ATCNY on Twitter we got Ruvain Guy here, at MLB Injury Guru, tweeting out all of the injuries, timetables, best source. Just follow him, take care of his stuff, and uh, check out his weekly report on Roto which comes out, I believe, every Saturday. That's correct. Right. All right. We'll do this again next week. We'll have a couple of episodes come at you going deep dive into teams. Can't wait until then. From all of us here at Beat Shift, we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.